Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dendi from On the Other Side Life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Stephen Kyles. Stephen is currently the Executive Director of Genomic Services at Quest Diagnostics, which supports all advanced diagnostic testing at Quest Diagnostics and oversees and manages all activities of the genetic counselors. In his role, Stephen acts as the liaison between genomic services and other areas of the company, such as advanced diagnostics, corporate medical, R&D, laboratory services, financial, legal, compliance, and commercial. Stephen earned a master's degree in genetic counseling from Sarah Lawrence College and his bachelor's degree in psychology from Binghamton University. Prior to joining Quest, Stephen spent 14 years at Ambry Genetics, serving as vice president of clinical diagnostics and 17 years as a clinical genetic counselor for Kaiser Permente in Los Angeles. Stephen is active in the National Society of Genetic Counselors, serving as the president of the Society in 2009. In 2016, unfortunately, Stephen was diagnosed with multiple myeloma. However, he is currently on maintenance treatment and he is doing very well today. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Talia. It's a pleasure to be here. 
I appreciate you taking some time out of your very busy schedule to talk with me today. You are here to talk about a really helpful and great topic that many people don't have a lot of knowledge about, but we are hearing more about it, and that is genetic testing. Stephen, if you could please start off by sharing with us a little bit about your cancer journey with multiple myeloma and how you learned that you had cancer. So it was very interesting. I'm very active and work out regularly, and I was doing actual CrossFit workout classes. And I noticed over time, I was just having more trouble keeping up with the rest of the class. So I started doing investigations, going to my doctor, getting tests, seeing if it was something related to cardio or pulmonary, check the heart, check the lungs, all the tests came back normal. But I just kept pushing the docs. And I had a good primary care physician who didn't just blow me off. I think it's important. Everybody has to be an advocate for themselves. I was hoping I would find some explanation. Eventually, one of the blood tests showed that I was anemic and I hadn't been anemic before. So now I had become anemic. And one of the causes of anemia is multiple myeloma. My doc sent me to a hematologist to evaluate, to see what was the cause of the anemia. Anemia in men is also less common. So it's a little more concerning. He ran a bunch of tests and that's how I found out that started my treatments. And my disease was actually progressing pretty significantly. Right after I was diagnosed, it became obvious. I couldn't walk up a hill without being out of breath. If I walked up a flight of stairs and you just take two at a time, I'd have to stop and rest at the top. So clearly it was getting more severe. And so then I went through treatment and ended up going into a maintenance phase and was good for five years. I ended up having a stem cell transplant five years and then was on maintenance for five years and then just had a relapse exactly a year ago this time, new treatments. I'm on a treatment now that didn't exist eight years ago and it's worked great. I'm back in maintenance mode, feeling great and doing well. Thank you, Steve, for sharing that with us. For people in the audience who are not aware of what multiple myeloma is, can you please share that with them? Sure. So it's one of the, not as common as many of the other blood cancers, but it's considered a blood cancer. So we think of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, colon cancer, That's those are solid tumor cancers. And then we have blood-based cancers, hematologic. Those would be lymphoma, leukemia, and myeloma. And most everybody's heard of leukemia and lymphoma. Myeloma is sort of the next group on the list. So it's basically blood cancer where the bone marrow produces abnormal plasma cells and they accumulate in the bone marrow and they cannot make normal red blood cells. So if your body is filled up with abnormal plasma cells, you have less normal red blood cells and the plasma cells can then attack the bone and you end up with bone issues and anemia and problems related to that. The good news about myeloma is a lot of the treatments are not as debilitating. We know some of the chemos and some of the treatment in some cases can be pretty severe and really knock people out. Most of the drugs related to multiple myeloma are actually very well tolerated. You know what? I, I've heard this and I like to say it's not what you get, it's when you get it. As we go along, there's just new treatments, not just for myeloma, but for everything. And we'll get into it, but that's where genetic testing really can come in and help people. Thank you so much, Steve, for sharing that. I really like that saying. When you think about it, that's true because cancer treatments are continuously improving and getting better. And people that were treated with cancer even 10, 11 years ago, there are better and more effective and less harmful treatments today. Absolutely. As a healthcare provider, do you believe you were better able to handle the news or better prepared than most people? And if so, why? If not, why not? 
I think there's two things when you're in the healthcare industry and you have to become the patient. It's an adjustment. You're used to being on one side of the desk and now you're on the other. You become the translator for your loved ones and for your family. So it's a little more pressure. You don't get to just be the patient. You're also trying to deal with your family and your friends, making them not as upset. And you're trying to explain. I do think being a healthcare provider, I certainly knew the system. Having worked in hospitals, having worked with doctors, I understood the language and I understood the questions. But I will say, I'm a genetic counselor. My training and my experience has a lot to do with hereditary diseases and hereditary cancer or cancers that are caused by hereditary causes. For multiple myeloma, that's not really hereditary. So it's not something I had a lot of experience with. It's generally sporadic. There may be occasions where it might run in a family here and there, but that's atypical. Typically, multiple myelomas is random, not hereditary. So I didn't have a lot of experience with it. So I was learning as if I knew nothing about it. So in that respect, being a healthcare provider helped me navigate the system, helped me understand the literature, but you still have to go through it. And in some ways, you want to be the patient. You want to ask the questions. You don't want people to assume you know things. That's a great perspective. Thank you for sharing that. It's very important, I think, that you had learning to do as well. You didn't know much about multiple myeloma. And a lot of people feel very overwhelmed when they get that first cancer diagnosis, but it's a learning curve for everyone. Absolutely. First thing you do is you look up the mortality and morbidity. How how long do people survive? What's the survival rate? And that's the first thing I did. And I looked and I'm like, this is not good. It was less than five years was the average. But you also have to realize that those statistics, I don't care for what cancer, whenever you're reading survival statistics, they're already out of date because they're based on people that were diagnosed in often 20 years ago, 15 years ago, because you have to follow people for years and years. So updating these statistics take a long time. So the best advice I can give is you can take the statistics and you can throw them out the window because everybody is a case of one. Mm -hmm. And what happened to the other 50 people doesn't really matter because no two are exactly alike. And you have to look at yourself. There's obviously some, if you get a prognosis that has a 5%, 10% survival rate, it's not great. You get 50%, you get 90%, obviously that's way better. But even if it's 1%, somebody's the one. And it could be 99% survival and you could be the one on the other side. So statistics only take you so far. That is a really great point because a lot of people, they will look at those statistics and if they're grim, they immediately throw in the towel for some people. And I really like how you pointed out that, hey, those are really outdated. And you're right. You do have to track people for several years in these studies and in the research to really get a true indicator of how effective the treatments are especially with new drugs that have been very successful that have only been around for five years or 10 years, you don't have more than five-year or 10-year follow-up. And new drugs aren't given to thousands of people. So those first few years, the size of the people is very small. So it takes years and years to build up the data. People should be aware of that. Thank you. Now let's shift to what we came to talk about, and that is genetic testing. Please share with the audience what that is. Genetic testing really involves two pieces. One is looking at the genetic makeup of the tumor that was diagnosed. So for instance, breast cancer, if you had a biopsy and they have tissue off of the tumor, they can send it for genetic testing and look at the DNA and see if there are there mutations. So a mutation is just a change in the DNA. We talk about cancer genes and does somebody have the gene for breast cancer? Everybody has the gene for breast cancer. Everybody has all the genes. The question is one of the coding pieces in that gene mistaken. Is it changed? Is it changed 
where it will cause an increased likelihood of developing that cancer. And those are the mutations that we look at. And some mutations are more severe, some mutations are less severe. So when we talk about genetic testing, we're looking at changes in somebody's DNA. Now, the DNA that we find in the tumor, that's not necessarily inherited because that's a tumor is not something you pass on or you inherit. What you inherit is the genetic makeup in your own DNA. So when you were conceived, sperm and egg come together, there's copies of the gene in there. Is there a mutation that was inherited from one of your parents? So you now carry that mutation in all of your cells. And that is what predisposes somebody to an increased likelihood of certain cancers, depending on the mutation, depending on the gene. There are literally hundreds of genes that can be associated with cancer, but there are a few dozen that have very strong evidence around certain types of cancer. And those are the ones we typically focus on. And it can be all different kinds of cancer. If you inherit one of those mutations, doesn't mean you will get cancer, it just changes your probability depending on the gene and the mutation. How can genetic testing help someone if they already have cancer? So if someone already had cancer, this is where twofold. One, do you also have a family history? Is it running in the family? Does it look like we have a a higher incidence in our family. And so if I already have cancer, why would testing me matter? If you carried a mutation, you also have an increased risk for other cancers. So for instance, the most common one we see is BRCA, stands for breast cancers. There's two common ones, BRCA1, BRCA2. If you are a carrier of a mutation in BRCA1, that might explain why you got breast cancer. We tend to see those that have mutations develop cancer at an earlier age. So when we see premenopausal breast cancer, that's a risk factor when we see multiple family members. But there's also a risk for ovarian cancer. In men, we do see an increased risk for breast cancer, more prostate cancer, and we see pancreatic cancer in these. So someone might say, I'm the only one with breast cancer in my family, but my uncle had prostate and my dad had pancreatic, my aunt had ovarian. All those go with BRCA. So that's a big red flag. So it's really important to understand your family history. And also to, this is something where a genetic counselor can come in and really help you understand how does this family history affect me? How does my history affect me? Are there certain tests that I could benefit from? If somebody were to get tested, two things. One, you can figure out if you should be screening for additional cancers, not just the one cancer you might've been diagnosed with. And then genetic testing can also be performed on the tumor to see if there's a mutation in the tumor that is better responding to certain treatments, or we know doesn't work with certain treatments. So they can narrow the treatment and target it. And that's what we hear a lot about personalized medicine, genetics, genomics. And this is where somebody who already has cancer especially a new diagnosis, doing a genetic test on the tumor can really help guide the treatment. And doing genetic testing on the individual for hereditary can also guide the treatment. For instance, if you had breast cancer very early, stage one, most people, it's lumpectomy with or without radiation and a very high success rate. But if you have a BRCA mutation, you have an 80% chance of developing breast cancer. So even if you do the lumpectomy and radiation, you have a very high risk of developing another breast cancer in the same or in the other breast. So Many of those women might opt for a mastectomy, either unilateral or bilateral, because they know the risk is so high, they can reduce the risk tremendously if through surgery. So treatments really can be guided by those results. Thank you. That is very important information. Kind of leads me to the next question. If someone doesn't have cancer 
Genetic testing can also be beneficial for them, to your point, because they can find out their family history. This is where looking at the family history to figure out what your risks are can be really helpful. It's always going to be best to test somebody with cancer. Let's say your mom had breast cancer. If your mom is available for testing, that would be great because if she doesn't have it, the, a mutation that we can find doesn't mean it's not there. It just means we can't find it. But it does rule out some of the more common hereditary risks. However, if she does have it and you test negative, that's like a get out of jail free card. Mm -hmm. You know that her history does not affect you. And so you go from high risk to average risk, not no risk. Everybody's got some risk. That's right. But this is where the testing can be really helpful. Thank you so much. The fact that we all have some cancer cells inside of us, they're just not activated. This is even more of a reason to get that genetic testing, just to know what things are looking like. Absolutely. It's very helpful. Information is power. So you can really learn a lot through your family history and it's inexpensive, doesn't cost anything. And it's one of the most effective ways to help make recommendations around what should or shouldn't be done from a testing standpoint. For most people, genetic causes of cancer is not going to be most cancers. It's going to be sporadic. So about 10% of cancer is related to hereditary causes. And like I said, the red flags are multiple members in the family and early onset. So typically age 50 is a general rule, a cutoff. So if we see any cancers before age 50, that's a red flag. Steve, please walk us through what that looks like when someone comes in for genetic testing. On a high level, what does that process look like so that the audience could know what to expect if they are interested? Sure. So there are definitely labs that specialize in genetic testing. So it's not something that every lab does. I work at Quest Diagnostics. We do all the hereditary cancer testing. There are other labs that specialize just in the genetic testing. And typically, it's just a blood test. In some cases, it can be done with a cheek swab or a saliva test, and it can be ordered by your doctor. If you were to see a genetic counselor, they can help facilitate the test ordering. So for many patients, the doctor evaluates your family history and says, oh yeah, you do have a significant history. Let's order a test. And one of the common tests is just a breast cancer panel. If we're looking at for most women where there's a history of breast cancer and that's the risk, there are a lot of different genes. So you want to test all of them. There's usually panels. Many of the labs have roughly 15, 20, 30, 35 genes that might cover all the common hereditary cancers. Doctor orders a blood test. You can go to any Quest patient blood draw. Your doctor might draw it in the office. They send it off to the lab. It takes a few weeks. The results come back. You meet with the doctor. They go over the results. If it's through a genetic counselor, they can help facilitate the testing. But really, it's very simple. It's, for the most part, just a blood test and a few weeks of waiting. Thank you. So pretty painless to get some very important information that can guide your health and your health care. Absolutely. Steve, we've talked about if you have cancer, if you don't have cancer, but how can genetic testing help in finding out your risk of a relapse? It goes to what is the underlying cause of the cancer. If we know there's a hereditary cause, that's going to increase the risk. And so based on the cancer and the risk, it's going to alter what screening tests you might have, what frequency you might do them. And really, that's the best way. If it's not a hereditary cancer, then it's really just about monitoring through your doctor and whatever, whether it's blood. For me, I get blood tests every few months and they just look at my protein levels. It's pretty easy to monitor. For solid tumors, you would have a colon cancer. It's a matter of how often do you do colonoscopy. 
most people, it's every five to 10 years, depending. And then for those with a more significant family history, it's going to be three to five years. For those that have a hereditary colon cancer, it's going to be every one to two years. Thank you so much for sharing that. I want to talk about some of the misconceptions about genetic testing. There have been some controversies, misconceptions, unethical practices surrounding genetic testing. This may have prevented a number of people from even considering it. What do you have to say to people listening out there? Steve, what should they be looking for when it comes to ethical testing? I think it's important people be careful what they read, especially in today's world where a lot of the information is on digital websites. It's not printed anywhere. So the goal is how many clicks can I get and how you're very well aware of that. Sometimes the headline or the point they're trying to make is misleading or maybe not accurate, or maybe it's true, but it's only true 1% of the time. They make it seem like it's 99% of the time. The reality is genetic testing has been around for decades. We're learning more all the time. There are definitely some laboratories that have been unethical, and some of them you can look up have been fined and prosecuted and Medicare fraud. There's a lot of that we've seen. But this is where meeting with a genetic counselor and using a lab that has a name you recognize as a leading laboratory, and the genetic counselors can help select those laboratories. And certainly the large commercial laboratories like Quest and others are going to be reputable. So I think it's important that people understand who's ordering the test and why they're ordering it. If your doctor's ordering it, that's good. If someone just finds you somewhere and says, hey, you're on Medicare, we can do this test. It won't cost you anything. That's a big red flag. People and that do was, that? Well, this was one of those companies that was prosecuted and shut down for Medicare fraud. They were basically hiring salespeople to go out and convince doctors or just sign people up. They'd contact people. They'd say, oh, Medicare pays for this. And they would order genetic testing. It's unfortunate, but typically if you're the one initiating something, I think you're in a better place, right? Because if somebody's approaching you unsolicited, that's not your doctor, then I wouldn't engage. But if it's through your doctor, there is a website, nsgc.org, right on the homepage, find a counselor, put in your zip code, you can talk to somebody. There's names and numbers will pop up from somebody based on where you live. They will help guide you in either they can see you or they can say, oh, here's a cancer specialist. Call the cancer center here and they'll be happy to evaluate. And just also remember, just because you see a genetic counselor to find out doesn't mean you need testing or you're going to have testing. And actually all testing is optional, right? So you get to decide if it's something you want. And one of the things the counselors will do is these are the pros, these are the cons, these are the risks, these are the benefits. What do you want to do? It's up to you. I will put that website in the listen notes as well so that the audience can refer to that. Steve, is there anything that you would like to share about what you have learned when it comes to multiple myeloma, genetic testing, or cancer, period? Is there any advice or information you'd like to share? I think attitude is everything. And I don't think you can underestimate the benefits of a positive attitude and sort of the expectation of how things are going to turn out. So if you think about it, if you're always expecting a problem, it seems like there's always a problem. I go into it with everybody's got something. No matter what you have, there's always somebody worse off. So in many ways, I'm grateful that this was my diagnosis and not something with no cure and no treatment and no expectancy. It could be a lot worse. And I just am grateful that this is what I got. You never know what somebody else has. You can't tell. People don't walk around with something tattooed on their forehead telling you what they have, but everybody's got something. It might not be cancer, but it's something. And in some cases, that something can be worse. So to me, the positive attitude really goes a long way. 
I agree with that so much. It makes a world of difference. And I want to thank you so much for sharing that, Steve. Is there anything else that you would like to share about Quest Diagnostic and the work that you do? You know, I used to see patients and when I moved, and that was why I got into this. I loved seeing patients. And when I got on the lab side, one of the things I missed was talking to patients, but I feel like I've substituted, my patients went from the actual patient to the doctor and the doctor sees a lot of patients. So I felt like I can actually, instead of counseling the patients, I'm counseling the clinicians and I'm able to help more people. So I really value the work that we do. And there isn't a day that goes by. I lead a large team and we are constantly talking about, it's not a blood sample. It's a patient. There's a patient behind every sample and everybody in the lab thinks the same way. This could be my mother's sample. This is my sister's sample. This is my sample. How would I want it handled? How would I want it treated? That's how we do it. And it really gives you a good feeling when you're able to help people, get them the information. Sometimes it's not good news, but if the news isn't good, it's not going to be good no matter whether we're involved or not. But if we can help somebody deal with it and we can facilitate things that give them a better chance, then that's why we do it. We have a large team of genetic counselors that work with clinicians and some patients and really help them through the process. The nice thing is we're a national lab. A lot of the insurances cover this genetic testing. I think that's important. People are always concerned. I can't afford it. What's it going to cost? We have cost calculators. We will figure out what it costs before anybody even has a test to make sure that it's covered and that any out-of-pocket um, is acceptable for them. Some other labs have similar processes. So I'm not saying everything is only Quest, but I, we are the largest uh, national lab and do the most genetic testing. I think that's important. And whatever lab you end up working with, is likely to have genetic counselors. That's actually a good way to indicate is, is it a reputable lab? Do they employ genetic counselors? Because all the, the major labs that are reputable do. Great. Steve, would you like to share with the audience where they could learn more about Quest Diagnostics and, sure. and also the genetic counselors? Questdiagnostics.com. And then there's a link right on the homepage for patients. And you can actually click on if your interest is more in like prenatal genetics or hereditary, and then whether it's oncology or neurology, depending on what's running in the family, there's a specific page for oncology that will list all the resources. There's education on there. There's things about what is genetic testing and is it for me? And there's also a really important, we have a quiz on there about is my family history putting me at risk? And so there's a quiz you can take just answering a few questions. And there's also a family history form on there that you could complete to fill out your family history to see, do I qualify for testing? Would it be a good idea? And then you could actually print that out, take it to your doctor. I will be sure to put that information in the listen notes as well. And I want to encourage people who may be on the fence or want to know more about genetic testing to visit questdiagnostics.com and take advantage of those very helpful resources that are available there. Steve, before we wrap up, I have two questions that I ask all my guests. <laughs> the first one is, what is something that people often misunderstand about you? I am known as a talker, as you probably have gathered. And I think people think that's me and I'm just naturally just talking all the time. But depending on the situation, I can be very quiet as well. So <laughs> there's probably no in between for me. So depending on where you catch me under... What circumstances I'm either, boy, he doesn't say much. He just sits there versus, uh, boy, he doesn't shut up. It's a little bit of that. I get it. I understand that. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, Steve, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? This one I've actually thought about as this country has changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. years. If I had to live somewhere else, where would I want to go? 
Italy keeps coming to the top of my list. I just think living in Italy, the people there are nice, love the food, the countryside. It would definitely be Italy followed by a very close second if I decided I'd have trouble learning Italian, New Zealand. <laughs> Oh, both nice. Yeah. New Zealand's a little more isolated. And so I would probably lean towards Italy because that would just give you a lot of access. Those would be my picks. Italy sounds amazing. Thank you, Steve, for sharing a little bit more personal information about you. I have enjoyed talking with you. And I just want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk with me to share some very helpful information with my audience. And I appreciate you and everything that you're doing to support people and help people impacted by cancer. Well, thank you. And I thank you for the work you're doing. And I enjoyed looking forward to hearing all the future podcasts. Thank you, Steve. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and you have found it helpful, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.